Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to another summer episode of Unnatural Hangover Edition, at least on my part. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah. I was going to ask how your summer is so far, but uh, I guess today, maybe not as good as the rest of the summer. Well, it's great. I got a little lit last night. Oh, okay. Good for you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Well, are you ready for another summer soap? I am ready. What are we talking about? If you've been with us for a while, you'll probably remember last summer, Emily gave us a number of stories for Pride Month. I remember the Stonewall Riots was one, some other unique stories as well. On the podcast today, as we wrap up another Pride Month, we're bringing you another unique story that I recently stumbled upon. I think I've asked you this before, Emily. You've never been to Canada, have you? I have not. You're so close. I know. It's I've, right next door. I've been very close to Canada, but I have yeah. never crossed the border. Okay. I don't have a passport. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you should get one. Let's do... Uh, we've, we've got listeners up there. We, we should do like a live on location in Canada. That'd be fun. We should just move to Canada considering the state of the United States right now. But that's a story for a different day. Yeah, that is a story for a different day. Let's not open up that bag of worms right now. A lot of people think of Canada as the frozen tundra and kind of this wide open country with no real cities. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, the biggest city in the entire country, Toronto, has a population over 6 million people in its metro. And just a few short years ago, the largest criminal investigation in that city's history wrapped up. It was a case that really sent shockwaves through the local gay community as gay men were being systematically and deliberately hunted down, maybe because of their sexual orientation. This is the story of the Toronto serial murders. Ten years ago, the Toronto Police Department launched what they were calling Project Houston, which was basically an initiative to figure out what happened to a man who had been missing since September of 2010 named Skanda Navartnam. They had reasonable suspicion that Skanda had been murdered, but had virtually no leads on the case. Soon after the project was launched, investigators got a phone call but it wasn't from anyone in Toronto. In fact, it wasn't even someone from the same continent. Oh, what? Right? The man on the other end of the line just so happened to be a detective in Switzerland. Now, he had been patrolling a site on the dark web called Zambian Meat. Zambian? Yeah, Zambian Meat. And that's M-E-A-T, not M-E-E-T. Oh. Yeah. 
That sounds not good. Well, it's a website about as disturbing as you can find on the entire internet, as it's a meetup place for self-described cannibals throughout the world. And also for people... I was people, afraid that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Like once you said M-E-A-T, I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. is there like a secret underground dark web network of freaking cannibals? I guess it shouldn't surprise us <laughs> that a site like this exists, but still no. deeply disturbing. Yeah. And also not just the cannibals, but for people who, for whatever reason, want to be eaten by cannibals. I didn't know there was a market for that. I mean, not to kink shame, but what the fuck? (laughs) Okay, no, 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 no. I am going to kink shame that. (laughs) But apparently, it was this detective in Switzerland's job to have a fake profile on the site and see if anything shady was going down in his country. But the reason he contacted Toronto police is because he noticed a username uh, and the name was Chef Mate 50, who claimed to be from the Toronto metro area, who was boasting about taking a dark-complected man back to his cabin, which was secluded in the woods around the time that Skanda had gone missing, who was also dark-complected. He also mentioned that he skinned this man alive and mm. ate his and ate his flesh. Yeah, this is some hardcore shit right here. I don't like it. What? After doing some research, the detective in Switzerland concluded that Skanda could very well have been the victim of Chef Mate 50. Now, just how disturbing was this website, you might ask? I'm not going to go into all the details. I don't want to ask. I I read and saw some stuff that I will never unsee, so I'm not going to tell you everything. For your own good. But I will say the Canadian investigators went to check it out right away. They got on the homepage and it was an image of two men roasting a woman over a spit. What? Yeah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But as the Canadian police began to go further and further down the rabbit hole on this site, they found a lot more information about user ChefMate50. For starters, they found the email address associated with the accounts. And after getting clearance through the Canadian Judicial Department, investigators contacted Yahoo Canada to obtain some of this user's emails. What they found was beyond disturbing. This ChefMate50 guy was communicating with people from all over the planet writing to them on his desire on how he wanted to torture and eat them. After seeing just a few of these emails, investigators obviously were freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Probably had to go to the bathroom a few times, maybe. Grab a bucket. I don't know. But investigators working the case contacted the Toronto Homicide Division to let them know, hey, everybody... Be on the lookout. We may have a serial cannibal right here in Toronto, Canada. Not something you say every day. Mm -mm. Eventually, they found a name to go along with Chef Mate 50. And that name was James Brunton. Of course, he had a J name. (laughs) 
to say that this guy didn't fit the profile would probably be the understatement of the year. He was a seemingly happily married family man, lived in the Toronto suburbs, worked at a local hockey arena nearby, and even did quite a lot of volunteer work, it sounds like. And oh yeah, he had absolutely no criminal record whatsoever. Hmm. As investigators began to narrow down in on Brunton, they set up a meeting with him. They created a fake profile on that Zambian meat site, and they more or less told Brunton that they wanted to be one of his victims because they knew that that would get him off and he would want to meet him. Yeah. And because Toronto police were worried that Skanda wasn't the only missing person who this Brunton guy may have murdered and eaten, they wanted to get on this as soon as possible. Abdul Basir Fiazi had been missing for nearly two years, and just like Skanda, he was a dark-complected gay man. So police set up the, this elaborate, elaborate plot to catch Brunton in the act, and they even arranged to meet him using a decoy. On the night of the meeting, Brunton left his home and investigators tailed him to make sure he was heading to the agreed location. Mm-hmm. Now, he went all the way to the exit for the turnoff, but instead of heading to the spots, he eventually turned around and made his way back home. I just had to, I had to know what this dude looked like. and Yeah, creepy, isn't he? Yeah, but like not what I expected. Right. I don't know what I expected, but like. Not that. Yeah. Not yeah. that. Now, my take is either he got cold feet or he noticed that the cops were following him mm-hmm. and figured it out because he was probably paranoid anyway. Well, I'm sh- you would think yeah, that you would no think, one but, would be walking around just confidently doing this. What the fuck? But then again, he was on a cannibal website, so who knows what this guy's rationale was. Yeah. And even though police weren't able to nab this guy at the time, they felt pretty confident that, he ha- that they had enough on Brunton to not only arrest him, but hopefully question him on the missing men and get a confession. So, what did they do? Well, that very night, not long after Brunton went home, they raided his house, apprehended him, and took him in for questioning. As they should. Right? And investigators, as you might imagine, were a little on edge as they brought Brunton in because it was like, okay, which Brunton are they going to be getting here? The loving family man or Chef Mate 50? Big difference. I guess they probably wanted Chef Mate 50 to show up. But police began telling him what his charges were, which, by the way, also included he illegally videotaped underage boys in the locker room at the hockey arena where he worked at. Ew. So on top of being a cannibal, he's a pedophile. Gross. And the entire time... 
this dude's got his head down and he's not even reacting to what they're saying until they brought up the cannibal stuff. When they told him that they knew about him admitting to eating human flesh and killing people, that's when Brunton piped up. He told them it was all for show. Essentially, he said it was some kind of fantasy or fetish for him to talk about this kind of stuff online, but he never actually acted on it. Right. And he most definitely had nothing to do with the disappearances of the two men that police had been investigating. Yeah. Like, hey, look, I know you caught me acting a fool, being a pedophile, but cannibalism? <laughs> That's just, that's taking it too far, guys. Like, what? I was just joking around about the cannibal stuff, okay? Yeah, like the pedophilia, don't totally real. Sorry, my bad, but like... You got me. <laughs> but like, don't accuse me of being a cannibal shit. Right. And you know what? At least in regards to the cannibal stuff, they bought it. And it turns out Brunton was telling the truth about that. And investigators were now back to square one. Who done it? Well, the case was stalled for a number of years until more gay men began to disappear. Oh, no. I just want to backtrack a little bit looking at the picture of this guy yeah i honestly thought that he was going to be the one that done it right which is why looking at him the cannibalistic part didn't make sense but like him just being a pedophile just like <laughs> by the way he looks makes sense so it tracks that he's a pedophile yes yeah yeah he does kind of look like i mean yeah he does he just I, look he's a creepy looking very creepy so man. He actually did not serve very much time. Of course not. Um, he got time served for the most part and then was on probation. What the fuck, Canada? I know. And he apologized to his family for embarrassing them. And that was basically the last I've heard about him. He, he, he didn't apologize to the boys he victimized? No, doesn't sound like it. Yeah. So the whole cannibal thing, I guess, was a red herring. Although, like we were just talking about, I would argue that at least they still put a crazy pedophile behind bars because of it, so that's good. Yeah. But police were no closer to finding the culprit behind these disappearances. That is until 2017. Oh, not that long ago. Yeah. In July of that year, the disappearances of gay men started happening again, and a new investigative team was set up to find the perpetrator at this time. 
two more men had vanished without a trace, Salim Essen and Andrew Kinsman. At this point, a total of five individuals had gone missing from the LGBTQ plus community since 2010, and the media and citizens of Toronto were kind of in a frenzy and demanding police find the person who was doing this and more importantly, find out what happened to these men. In fact, Emily, the local LGBTQ plus community, they were even alleging that police had dropped the ball on this case, mainly because they just didn't care enough since it was only affecting gay men in the community. And also many in the gay community were terrified of even going out around this time, as you can imagine. Yeah. They saw it as a spree of maybe even homophobic murders and had no idea when the culprit was going to strike again. This fear lasted for quite a long time until finally a breakthrough in the case was made, but it wasn't by police necessarily. It was a clue left from one of the victims, Andrew Kinsman. After he disappeared, police searched Andrew's apartment, and initially they didn't find much, really, if anything, in regards to clues. But after a more thorough search was conducted, a possible lead was found on his calendar. Andrew had written the words Bruce 3 p.m. on his calendar, and it just happened to be written on the date that he went missing. Oh, no. Say it with me. Sus. Little sus. Little little bit. Little bit. bit. Yeah. Who's Bruce? Just off this one seemingly small clue, Mm -hmm. police were able to get the tapes from outside the apartment and search for 3 p.m. that day that Andrew disappeared. So they got the videotapes. They're looking 3 p.m. Nothing's going on. But then around 3.15, they saw Andrew leave the building and get into a 2004 red Dodge Caravan. Now they had their second big clue. Mm -hmm. So after they got the name Bruce and they got the model of the vehicle, they went to check the registration records for red Dodge Caravans in the Metro which narrowed it down, I guess, to five men who were named Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Five men who were named Bruce who drove red Dodge caravans in the area. After checking into the first four guys and ruling almost all of them out immediately, police finally had a suspect. 66-year-old Toronto landscaper Bruce MacArthur. What stood out with This Bruce, as opposed to the others, well, for starters, he had just gotten off probation from a case where he attacked a man with a pipe back in 2003. With a pipe? Yeah, like this big metal pipe. Gross. He he also had another incident where he assaulted another guy just the year before. And I believe that both of these happened in Toronto's gay village as well. Initially, Bruce was married, and he had a kid before leaving and divorcing his wife in the 90s. 
and moving to Toronto to be a part of the gay community. And even though he was fairly well known throughout the gay village, most Mm -hmm. men stayed away from him because they had heard about his propensity toward violence. Mm. As police began looking more and more into Bruce, they stumbled upon something else. Oh, no. Way back when Skanda went missing, Mm -hmm. investigators actually met Bruce, who offered to help in the investigation for Skanda. Of course he did this with the I know. Talk about frustrating. He even let it slip that he had briefly dated one of the men who was missing. But for whatever reason, police never followed up with him on that. I would think that if a guy was helping out and said he dated one of the missing guys, I wouldn't necessarily think he was a suspect, but I would want to look into it. Right. And that, you know, that's another issue people have with, uh, how the police handled this case. But so they decided to put a tail on Bruce MacArthur. They followed him to his landscaping jobs around the city, followed him to his apartment where he lived on the 19th floor and he lived alone. And they also followed his online whereabouts to kind of see what he was up to. Mm-hmm. They even got a warrant to sneak into his home while he was gone and make a copy of all of the files on his computer. Nice. They found a lot of abhorrent and disgusting things on his hard drive, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. But no smoking gun. That is, until they discovered the pictures. Mm. Pictures of every single one of the missing gay men police had been looking for. And even three more men that the investigators hadn't linked to the case yet. Oh, my God. But here's the thing. Idiot. These weren't just your average pictures. Like, these weren't, like, pictures that they had sent to him or pictures off their Facebook or anything like that. They were photographs that Bruce had taken of them after they were deceased. Like, you can clearly tell in the photographs that the men are dead. So, there you go. The smoking gun. I mean, how is that not the smoking gun? That's fucking gross. Mm Mm-hmm. And just just as police were compiling all of these pictures as evidence, something put the investigation into overdrive, like right away. They noticed that Bruce had been talking to a new man and invited him to his apartment that day. So they're like, oh, my God, we don't want this guy to die like all the others. No. Even Go though they missed him. They weren't completely ready. They decided that they were going to go to his place. Now, Bruce got there about 15, 20 minutes before they did. Mm -hmm. And remember, he lived on the 19th floor. Yeah. So they get into the apartment complex. They're waiting for the elevator because they're not going to climb 19 floors to get there. And it's taken forever. And time is of the essence, obviously. Yeah. Finally get in the elevator. It's just jam-packed with people. So, they're, you know, packed in there like sardines. And every floor, it's stopping. Oh and people God. are getting out and people are getting in. And 
It's just taking more and more time. Finally, they get up to the 19th floor and they pound on the door. No answer. They pounded on the door again. No answer. Kick it in. Well, and finally, they heard a quiet voice say, hello, who's there? At which point they kicked the door down. They handcuffed Bruce MacArthur right there. And they immediately begin looking for the other man who fortunately was alive, Emily. (sighs) But he had been stuffed into the bedroom closet and handcuffed. So this guy was this close to being the next victim. Wow. Amazing that they found him in time. Yeah. Upon questioning... Bruce wouldn't say where the bodies were. Obviously, they had enough evidence to convict him, but they want the bodies. Right. Eventually, investigators got the idea, hey, this guy was a landscaper. He went to a lot of different properties. Maybe we should probably check these properties out. Was he disposing of the bodies? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? How? Did he dismember them? Yes, he dismembered them. They found a bunch of bones strewn underground at one of his client's properties near a burn pile. I think he also burned some evidence there, too. Yeah. And in fact, the home was right under the nose of the original lead investigator of the case. Like it was in the same exact neighborhood. But, like, imagine being one of those poor people who, like, you just wanted some landscaping done. So yeah. you hire good old Bruce because mm-hmm. he probably had good Google reviews. Yeah. And then you find out later that he disposed of bodies right? in your yard. What? And I can't even imagine what it would be like for the sweet old lady who owned that property where the bones were found. No. She was a gardener, and for her to even try and garden again after that, because if you think about it, those bones were like decaying in the dirt. Oh, I guess I didn't think of it that way. I was just thinking more of like the bad, like the bad juju, the bad energy. Right. But still, I don't think I would want to be eating any tomatoes or potatoes or whatever if I knew there was a decaying body right underneath them. That's just me. But moving on. After over a year of legal back and forth proceedings, Bruce MacArthur eventually pled guilty to eight counts of first degree murder. All of his victims had been gay men living in the Toronto village. And there are many people out there who believe that the count is actually far higher than the eight he was convicted for. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole when he's 91. And it is worth mentioning a number of LGBTQ plus organizations alleged misconduct on the part of the police's handling of this case. And it's affected kind of how the gay community views the city of Toronto as a whole. If you think about it, if you live there, if you're a gay person, Do you really trust it at this point? Maybe you want to move somewhere else. And by the way, Emily, I should mention, I only really scratched the surface 
with this one. If you want to do a deeper dive on this case, head on over to Netflix. There's a two-part documentary on there about it, and it's a wild ride. You can find it in season two of the show Catching Killers. And for all the people who want to do a deeper dive on all things unnatural, Emily, where can they find us? That is right. You can do that on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod, Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, um, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. If you have any cool ideas of cases you want to hear us talk about, send us a Gmail to unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon page where you can get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. We will be back in... Um, a couple weeks we're still kind of doing our summer break where we will share or i guess i will share um a creepy spooky old 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 case we are going back to the 1800s again in the meantime make good choices and don't get got bye I was going to sneeze, but it was a yawn instead. Okay. see your bones oh i can see your bones can you see that yeah i see them i see the bones <laughs>